Welcome to Lean Agile Management Podcast, a show by Kanbanize that helps you boost work efficiency, create culture of high performance, and build teams that thrive. Welcome to the lab. Today on the show. So we actually had David Cameron at the time, our Prime Minister, standing up in Parliament and uttering the word Agile. You can achieve these amazing outcomes by working 20-hour days, eating lots of delivered pizza and sleeping under your desk. Or you can find a way where everyone can work at their best. And without ever mentioning Lean or Agile, people are already choosing, yeah, we'd like some more of that. But I think it's a defining feature of 21st century change management. Um, you know, if governments can do this stuff, then private organizations certainly can. Today we're talking to Mike Burrows. Mike is a management consultant, author of Kanban from the Inside. He's also the founder of Agenda Shift and the director of Positive Inclined Limited, consulting companies that promote the outcome-oriented approach to lean agile transformation and strategy. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Pleased to meet you, and it's great, great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you. I'm glad you could you could do this. So, as always, uh, I'd like to start from. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about how did you get started with Lean and Agile and why? That's a good question. Um, I spent a good chunk of the, well, the middle part of my career um, working as a development manager in an investment bank. Um, and it was a very uh, private kind of organization. I won't mention names, but uh, it gives you some clues. Yeah. The, uh, the kind of organization we were talking about. Um, and it, I actually wasn't aware just what a good organization we had. Uh, and when I left that uh, in 2009, I was actually quite surprised to uh, discover just how non-mainstream a lot of um, lean and agile things that for me that uh, were for me perfectly normal long before the Agile Manifesto or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had the opportunity that I could kind of... Um, be public, uh, you know, come up, come up for air, out of that uh, very private environment, and um, you know, I, I was I was working and living in London, working in London, living near London, and I had the opportunity to um, attend things like uh, agile meetups, Kanban meetups, um, limited whip society meetings, all those, those kinds of things. Right. And uh, that's what first got me excited about Kanban. And then uh, I then took a job in Budapest, Hungary, um, as a CTO. And uh, it was clear, you know, and one of, it's actually one of the reasons why I, why I was taking over there. We had a, there, you know, it was a problem of completion to address. Um, lots of things up in the year, not, not much getting finished. Um, and Kanban seemed a very good fit for the kinds of problems they were experiencing. Um, and you know, to cut a long story short, um, you know, that became the case study for Kanban from the inside. Um, after having written what turns out to be, you know, the, the crucial blog post uh, introducing Kanban through its values, if I hadn't written that, then I wouldn't have probably probably wouldn't have gone around to uh, to writing the book. But um, using uh, you know using Kanban very practically to solve real business problems, ending up with a very good case study. And then coupling that with the values model um, that brought it to life in a sort of humane way rather than a very tool-centric way right. um, was a really powerful combination, I think. And that's why people um, you know, like that book, book so much. You know, it's, um, you know, the response to, to it has you know, far exceeded my expectations and been a very positive experience. Um, and now, right now, I, I now have uh, the Agenda Shift book out as well. 
um, on LeanPub at the moment. It's not quite ready for Amazon, but it, it, that won't, that's not far away. Um, and I, I find I, I love writing and so on. And writing and working and sort of iterating between writing, working, talking, drawing, all these different sort of media, different forms of expression, um, they all help to crystallize, clarify your message um, and, and keep it real. Um, so that's, that's kind of been my journey. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's actually quite an interesting jump from from the UK all across Europe, and then yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it's obviously got you inspired enough to to stick with this. Yes, it has so much value connected to it. Yes, and uh, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about the agenda shift? So that's your latest endeavor, right? Yes. What we've got now is you know started out with as a survey tool. You know, all of a sudden we find we've actually got a you know, a, a framework for um, managing lean agile transformation with, you know, and you can think of it as a transformation tool or a set of coaching tools and it all integrates really nicely and it's all very, very consciously outcome-centric, non-prescriptive, um, rather than the, the lazy consultant's uh, checklist of all the, all, the, all the practices you're meant to be following and, oh, by the way, I do training in all these practices. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> so on, um, which I, I find is quite uh, quite cynical, really. Um, you know, maybe it's well meant, but it's certainly lazy. And instead, we got, uh, you know, from given descriptive and non-prescriptive, what you get is generative. You are helping people generate ideas, um, and that's very powerful. If you've got agreement on outcomes, and you give people the opportunity to generate ideas or to find ideas in their favourite frameworks. Um, then instead of worrying about you know um, selling ideas to people and worrying about resistance to change and all these other things, um, people are already working on it. <laughs> you know, problem, like, that problem kind of goes away. Um, so um, that's that is in essence that's four fifths of a gender shift. Um, you know the, the the fifth part of a gender shift is really you know, where we're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've done a lean agile true north statement that embodies lean and agile values um, and uh, in the chapter five of the book um, there's quite a lot about how you organize so that ch change or transformation is happening all the time so what um, business processes what feedback loops do you need in your organization to encourage change um, most organizations either treat change as a separate pro project um, which uh, I could rant on for a very long time. Maybe you'll give you the opportunity to in a minute. Um, or uh, they don't think about it at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's nothing in, nothing structural in the organization that encourages change to, to flourish and to, um, to bring, carry the, the organization forward in the direction it wants to go. Um, worried about top-down change. I mean, you know, agile teams sometimes think that everything can be bottom-up. And um, agile goodness will just filter its way to the top. Um, that tends not to happen. And I think uh, we've all seen agile teams where change runs out of steam after a while. You know, the retrospectives start, start to happen less often. The, um, the changes that they um, are managing, if they're managing at all, um, right. aren't very challenging to anyone outside the organization, outside the team or, or to the team itself. You know, the low-hanging fruit's all been harvested. You know, what's left? Right. Um, so, yes, there's not constructive engagement between the team and the organization, a bit of mutual accountability, a bit of transparency, 
appropriate rhythms in terms of feedback loops and so on, uh, then it's very hard to to sustain these things. I mean, the lean folks know the same. I mean, continuous improvement's a fantastic idea, and I love it. But on its own, in the absence of the you know the kind of management that Toyota has, um, it's not going to last. You know, yeah. the, uh, an ideas box in the corner of the room isn't going to move your organisation forward at any useful kind of kind of rate. Um, so, yeah, this focus on outcomes is crucial. Um, it stops the top-down imposition, or it's an alternative to top-down imposition if there's proper engagement on outcomes. Uh, and also, um, it works bottom-up as well, or as an alternative to bottom-up. You know, let's agree what it is we're trying to achieve together. Um, let's see what alignment we have, we have a team has with the, um, you know, the, the, the goals of the organization. Um, how can we agree a language for things like reporting and metrics and so on that actually is healthy, mm-hmm. good for the teams, good for the organization and so on? How can we bring the right external perspectives, customers' perspectives, for example, um, in at the, at the right time? And so on. So this, this, it's a whole load of questions about organisational design, um, yeah. accountabilities, all these kind of things. Um, but how would well, you even yeah. get to that stage to asking all these questions? Because that's, yeah, that's really a lot of them, but they need to realise they have a problem, right? Yes. Agree with it and then yes. actually decide to do something. Yes. Um, great book by um, Edgar Schein, I mean, a well-known writer on leadership and change. Um, and he says that change starts with disconfirmation. You know, that's that you have to accept that something's not working. Uh, and after disconfirmation, you give yourself the opportunity to unlearn what it is you're doing now and relearn um, something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that word, disconfirmation. It's an unusual word. I mean, you have to. It's one of those words where you have to explain what it means. Um, but if you're if you're giving people the opportunity to like disconfirm something, um, that's very, very powerful. So that's what assessment tools can do. And um, by giving something a score, then in the end, the number isn't important. You know, whether it's a two or a three doesn't matter, but the fact that it's a two and not a three is interesting. Uh, you are accepting that it's not a three and not a four. Um, and it may not, you know, not every, um, prompt is going to be equally important at any given time. But if you're, if you're agreed on one or, or a small handful of things uh, where you really would like to be doing better than you are now, um, and you can get broad agreements on that, that's a basis for, pro- pro- for progress. Hmm. Um, without pushing any particular practice down anyone's throat, um, right. without provoking that resistance to change and, and so on. Um, so I think this outcome, this outcome orientation is is really crucial. I, I think it's a defining feature of 21st century change management as compared to that overcoming resistance to change style of change management from the 20th century. I'd like to see the back of that if we can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually somehow connected to one of the things we've discussed in the previous episodes, which was also, there was one interesting quote that people don't resist change, they resist, resist being yes. changed. Absolutely, yes. So, yeah. yeah, I can definitely see how yes. that's also playing a big role here. Yeah. What would you say um, would be one of the biggest problems that even spark the question for people, start the whole conversation, when they realize, okay, we, we need to do something. We need to yes. find assessment or find a tool or solution, but yes. what would even kickstart this whole conversation? That's uh, that's a good question. I mean, as far as our workshops are concerned, we start with the business context. 
Uh, and that seems really important. I mean, um, just you know, doing agile or being better at agile for its own sake is kind of interesting. Um, but if not everyone buys into that, um, that's not going to take you very far. Um, if, on the other hand, um, you know, you can take yourself forward a few months and imagine, uh, you know, a set of, you know, you've, you've basically nailed all your objectives, um, you've delivered really well. Um, you've achieved something spectacular for your team, for your organization, for your customers, and so on. And then you think about how you, how um, that's achieved. Um, it's both funny <laughs> um, and also um, motivating, cathartic even. Um, you know, I, I give people the choice. Um, you can achieve these amazing outcomes by working 20-hour days, eating lots of delivered pizza, drinking heroic quantities of coffee and sleeping under your desk. Um, or you can find a way where everyone can work at their best and there's the right sort of coordination across the, across the organisation and the right conversations happening at the best time, um, needs are met just in time, that kind of thing. Um, and that's uh, just that was rather... I was a garbled version of that uh, Lean Agile True North I talk, talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but if um, if the working environment is nothing like that, um, contemplating that alternative reality uh, is really powerful. Mm -hmm. People can start thinking about what are the obstacles to that. Um, and without ever mentioning Lean or Agile, people are already choosing, uh, yeah, we'd like some more of that. Um, and then you know the you know teaching about lean and agile can come come later at the at the appropriate time, um, but you're establishing um, yes this is something that we that we want to do. Um, now when people call me up and say yeah we'd like to have a workshop please Mike of course the those are generally senior sponsors who mm -hmm. um, they, they just want a change. Um, so you're typically talking you know CIOs COOs those those kinds of people. Um, who realise that, that something needs to be different. Um, they are not convinced that an off-the-shelf solution is right for them, and that's something I would generally agree about. Um, you know, I'm a fan of frameworks, but I think it, um, thinking that, as I said before, thinking that a framework is going to solve all your problems, um, you are deluding yourself. Right. Um, so it's not just the tool, but how, how people use it. Exactly, yes. And, and you need to have some respect for how the organization got to where it got to. Mm -hmm. uh, it must be doing something right. It still exists. <laughs> yeah, <indeed>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably a David Anderson phrase, if it's not my phrase. Um, but, um, you know, uh, just, just going in with the assumption that, that everyone's doing it all wrong, um, it's entirely disrespectful to me. Uh, you know, people might think it's helpfully provocative. And um, actually, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in opening people's eyes to the possibilities. And they are achievable possibilities and they can understand them from where they are now. Uh, and they can see a way forward and so on. And uh, that seems the, the healthier approach. And it, it's the more sustainable approach because they're going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Mm. Um, you're not meant to go in every, every you know every few months into an organization and say, guys, you're doing it all wrong. You've got to start again. You know, that's, that's hopeless. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's implement Agile in a way that is itself Agile, <laughs> consistent with... with you know, consistent with agile values and so on, and with lean values. You know, respect for people. Let's do it collaboratively, um, and so on. Uh, let's do it uh, iteratively. Let's do it experimentally. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it seems much more appropriate, self-consistent way of doing it than the, the typical changed managed deployment project. Right. It's after all, do what you preach, not just say yes. be agile, be lean, and then we'll make the transformation the most unagile thing ever. <laughs> exactly. You've also mentioned a very, very strong point about uh, top-down change. Yep. And that, yes, some, some things uh, can and should be going upstream. Yep. And then, um, at least from what we, what we hear here as, as Kanbanites, we see that it's really hard for people to even suggest an idea, pointed, um, suggest a change, suggest an idea, yeah. or even say something's wrong because people take it very personally sometimes. Yes. So um, how, how do you address that kind of issues and how, how do you approach top-down change and starting the change at all? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think top-down and bottom-up are actually, um, it's not a false dichotomy because there are people that do top-down change and there are people that do bottom-up change. Um, but it is also possible to have a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are talking about middle-out change, and I'm still not completely clear what that actually means. Um, but actually, in the end, it's healthy for organizations to align to something. Now, ideally, that's something that um, a lot of people have been involved in working out what that what that thing is um but it needs to be there and that's what um gets people moving in the same direction um at the same time it's the people working at the coalface are the people with the expertise that know what the problems are and so on um so their knowledge has to be you know used in the best best way possible um so what you need are appropriate feedback loops in the organization that bring these different perspectives together um frequently enough and with the right people in the room um so you know things like the retrospective meeting that's just the start you know that just involves the people in the team um but you need things like um well, to, to take um you know the kanban terminology um service delivery review for example um to take um multiple perspectives on the problem and with the right people in the room so you you, you take a uh, for example a customer perspective on the problem and you think about what you've learned from things like your customer satisfaction um surveys what you're le- hearing from your customer help desk what your user research is telling you um and so on and get a really custom centric perspective mm-hmm. on on everything that you do follow that with a product centric view you know from your 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 product uh, uh, manager um for example and then you got you can you have the opportunity to ask then well are those two things in sync is what we're planning for our products actually going to meet the needs of our of our customers and after that is what we're doing delivery wise is that um in line uh with that product vision are all all of those things in line with our organizational vision you know are our products set up to meet the needs strategically that we as an, as an organization um want to be addressing and so on um so you think about these um different perspectives and you think about what's the uh, sort of outside in uh order to um address them uh, that causes then you know to to maximize the opportunities for alignment so customer and organization first product next perhaps your production platform and perhaps last your um 
development process. Um, I'm sure there are retrospectives that do have that kind of mindset, but I think most of them don't. And and thinking about um, a high-level meeting with some representation that's from beyond the team and with, as I said before, good agreement on what the right kind of metrics are and the right kind of reporting and so on, uh, can be re- can be really powerful. Um, I've instituted some of these meetings in in government projects, and they've been um, you know re- really important uh, in terms of making sure that we're all focused on the right things, that we're not forgetting important things, um, that we are you know on top of things like our risk registers, we're on top of organisational changes that might have a bearing on on what we're doing, and and so on. Um, you know, if governments can do this stuff, then private organisations certainly can. Right. After all, small businesses are, by definition, more agile. Or they yes. Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Although, actually, there are some, certainly in the UK, there are some really great examples in government. It's been a privilege to, to work in it, actually. Mm. Is, is that classified information? Or? Um, no, no, actually, uh, very much working, uh, working out in the open. Um, so government digital, digital services were set up to um, make uh, digital um, a, like a bridgehead for Agile in government departments and government agencies. Mm-hmm. And um, in, there was an initial set of projects that were flagship projects. They're called the exemplar projects that were... Um, very much in the spotlight, uh, encouraged to do things out in the open and so on. Uh, and I was interim de- delivery manager on, on two of those projects. Um, so that's, that's my experience. Not, not working on the government side, but working uh, from, the, from the perspective of one, of the, one, one supplier. Um, they've been, uh, been great projects. Thoroughly enjoyed them. Learned a lot. It sounds it sounds <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, I think we we borrowed we borrowed some of some of the ideas from Estonia originally, uh, uh, but um, su- successfully enough in the UK that some of the ideas have now gone across the Atlantic to the US as well. They're doing quite a similar thing, set up in a very similar way. <laughs> and what would be the typical kind of problems the uh, like these kind of clients are trying to get rid of or solve? Is it the same old things that everybody complains like? communication, collaboration, visibility of work, or do they have some special needs? Oh, it's even, even bigger problems than that. Um, I mean, there's, um, the, the, the surface problem is, you know, we, we keep um, building web, web systems for citizens to use that are horrible to use. And that's something everyone, the man on the street can relate to. Okay. But the reason, the reason they are horrible is that the way government used to work was uh, they would spend a lot of money getting a company to write a very thick spec uh, for what the perfect system would look like. Then they would engage a supplier to build that system. And then that supplier would hand it over to then be, to be supported in production. And then they would go away. <laughs> and then by the time you realize actually the system, even though tick, 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 all the requirements are satisfied, um, it's not meeting needs and it's horrible to use. Um, so um, that was the fundamental problem. Very, very expensive way of building horrible systems. Um, and uh, you know, clearly there had to be a better way of doing it. And um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the digital world, Web 2.0, Lean Startup, all that kind of stuff showed you, that, demonstrates that there are better ways of doing things. 
Um, and uh, they you know, they started just practicing the stuff. They were a very, from, from my perspective, delightfully non-prescriptive about um, how agile should work, um, but um, did have an idea of what agile outcomes looked like. Uh, quite a lot of um, encouragement to do lean startup-y type things. Um, they uh, insisted that there would be uh, user research on every project. That's quite new for government. And the other thing that's very new for government is that they they insisted on a ongoing commitment to evolving whatever was built. Um, so there was no throw it over the fence and walk away. Um, it was up to the government department to work out how to sustain this into the future, and um, whether that was through a relationship with a supplier um, or by having people um, within the organisation capable of carrying it forward. Um, so it's that longer-term view. Um, it's the idea of um, you know, long-lasting teams, um, sustainable development, all the rest of it built in from the beginning, and, and that, um, that user research, user needs, user needs, not government needs, is the, is the mantra. Right. Um, uh, that's a really strategic thing. Uh, it sounds like a, just a slogan, um, but if you couldn't demonstrate that you're really serious about user needs and about evolving your system into the future, your service into the future, um, then you would have your, your money withdrawn. You, know, you wouldn't have a project anymore. Hmm. Um, very powerful stuff. Yeah. But how would you get such high-level officials um, even agree to something like that? Do they actually feel the pain from up there? Well, actually, that's a great example of it starting from the top. Hmm. So we actually had David Cameron at the time, our prime minister, standing up in parliament and uttering the word agile. <laughs> I'm, not sure how, I'm not sure what he meant by the word. Well, I'm not sure how much he understood or shared our understanding of the word agile, but it was, but it was um, still very notable that he used that word. Indeed. And then what he did, they set up government digital, digital services as a, um, as a department within the cabinet office. So it's right at the heart of senior government, um, was where the sponsorship for this was coming from. Um, yeah. So said before, there's a place for top down, certainly in terms of saying clearly what our intent is. Um, and they 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 gave a very firm intent that was backed up with, you know, serious consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, And something positive like that to align to is very motivating for people. And all of a sudden, people want to do it. And they, like me, discover that actually it's a surprisingly awesome experience to be working in government. And who'd have thought it? You know, you wouldn't have expected that a few years ago. But it, so far, it sounds almost like it, it was all perfect and smooth and directed. <laughs> <laughs> and people, like everyone ends up happy. People get constant, consistently updated infrastructure. The government gets consistently happy citizens. And people are happy to work for government. It's like, it's perfect. But w- were there any hardships and objections? And yeah, uh, I, I laughed out loud because clearly, it, you know, things... You know, no change like that happens overnight. Yeah. And there are some bad habits in governments that uh, are going to take a long time to break. Um, there is this idea that, uh, that there must be taught this in civil service college or something, but um, whenever you talk to a supplier, you have to beat them with a stick and say, we think you can do better. 
So you can be in a meeting where within the space of a few minutes, they'll start by saying, wow, we've never seen this before. This is absolutely amazing. And then they reach for the stick. But we can do better. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, the, when, it, where it's, when it's working at its best, you feel like we're one team. You've got suppliers and civil service people working together, sitting next to each other, and it is truly a team. And that actually was how it felt most of the time. Uh, but as soon as you get into a meeting with the word governance in the title, <laughs> um, then you know there's a baseball bat in the corner. <laughs> and that's a bit different. Um, but uh, so um, there's always a bit of a... You know, as I said, these things are set up as a bridgehead and there's, there's always an, a new world and an old world mm-hmm. and there are interfaces to the old world. So um, even though we're running it as an agile project, um, there is still some very old-fashioned project management and budgetary control and things like that as well. Some of it's necessary, some of it not. Mm-hmm. Um, you're bumping up against things like old-star change management as well. You know, we we built the capability to do multiple releases um, a day if necessary. Um, but this is in an environment where um, a release a month is is a lot, um, and the uh, the change management regime expects you to do very few releases mm-hmm. and to jump through lots of hoops before you do a release and and this kind of thing. Um, and negotiating a mutually acceptable change management um, framework was you know, quite, quite difficult. Um, and some people feel it's their job to stop change from happening. <laughs> you know, and as soon as you're up against someone who thinks it's their job um, to, um, to stop you doing it, then, then it's going to be difficult. Oh, yes. Um, but that's a very, that's a very, another very common thing in governments. You know, as soon as you have any kind of problem, then someone has, someone has appointed a manager of that problem, and now suddenly that problem is now uh, institutionalized. Hmm. Um, so that's, you could say that's how change management works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, how would you overcome such, such challenges when somebody just sits down with their bat in their hands and they say, no, that's not how you're going to do. Or how do you connect those old and new systems? Yes. Well, to as much as possible, you, um, you try and find, you know, a mutually acceptable, you know, middle way. Um, in the, in the area of change management, um, it basically boiled down to us promising not to break anyone else's stuff. And if we break our own stuff, then we took the consequences. And I think that's completely fair. Um, and, and that, and that worked, um, you know, in other cases, occasionally, um, you would, you would say, you know, we are a government exemplar project. We've got GDS breathing down our necks. In the end, the minister will be responsible if we don't do this. Mm-hmm. And do you want to be responsible for that? And of course no one does. Um, but you don't, you don't want to be playing a card like that too often. Um, you are spending some of your, you know, your capital whenever you um, you pull something like that. Um, so most of the time, you do it by being reasonable, um, having meetings out. You know, when formal meetings are a problem, you know, where the base with the baseball bat in the corner, um, have informal meetings first. That helps. You know, meeting over coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the XP thing, you know, if, if, it, if it hurts, do it sooner and more often. And uh, if, if, if the problem is talking to people, then do more of it. Yeah. Mm. yeah, going through failure into success. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. But that um, that sounds like a strong testimony to the idea that it, you didn't have to go full in straight away and break everything on your way, but you can start at small pieces and then still make them work. Yes. Because lean and agile can coexist with other systems, right? Yes, yes. Well, it has to. If you can't change, you can't change a whole government department overnight. Mm. Um, most companies can't be changed overnight, and this is why, um, you know, this is why I, you know, built my whole business around um, change management and transformation. Um, not only is it not an overnight process, it's actually, if we take you know, lean and agile seriously, it's an indefinitely long process. You know, we'll, we'll be doing it forever. Uh, we're not going to reach that true north anytime soon. Um, and, and let's try and build that into the way that we do things uh, and be serious about it. Uh, and by serious about it, I mean, don't just say inspect and adapt and think that we're going to get a long way and never run out of steam. Um, but be serious about uh, the kinds of transparency and mutual accountability and everything else, all the different tools at our disposal to um, to energize that process, sustain it for the long term and, and so on. Right. Okay, so maybe the final question would be, um, what's made some teams and some organizations or governments stand out that help them achieve those goals and that and get much closer to that true north they committed to? What was that, or is there something that really makes people take the shortcut, if we can put it this way? There, of course, are no magic bullets. Um, but if there's one technique that I've seen spectacularly over-deliver, um, it is validation. Mm. Um, so if you read Kanban from the inside, you might remember that I told a story of validation. Um, and the story is, is, is not the, the standard lean startup story of validation. I did it because I was annoyed. I was annoyed that we were building features that our users weren't using. You know, they said they wanted it, and then we did it, and we fa- then we found that they weren't using it. So I, I, I said, uh, you know, at a frustrated moment, um, and I said it both to my development team and to um, my opposite numbers on the business side, right, at the end of each piece of development, the developer and the relevant user, the customer, are going to sit side by side and the customer is going to confirm to the developer not only that this is the thing that he asked for, um, but that he is already delivering business value. <laughs> Set the bar quite high. Um, and everyone's like, actually, they could see why, why I asked for that. And it is in, in, although it was clearly um, provocative, um, you know, they could understand my motivation for doing it. It's something worth trying. Well, what we found is that no one wants the piece of work to end in a, an embarrassing conversation. <laughs> and a, a conversation that's potentially embarrassing to both the uh, developer and the user. So they work together to avoid it being an embarrassing combination, uh, conversation. <laughs> um, so they would work together during you know, those final implementation stages to make sure the thing was really, really running sweetly. Um, they would work together during tests to make sure that there was, you know, that there, there weren't any obvious ways to break it. They would work together during development to make sure um, that the thing was going to meet the meet the user need, um, and so on. And, and work, working back back to the beginning, you know, we're not going to prioritise things we don't anticipate using every day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It had a really profound impact on the whole process. And, you know, I wrote, I've stood up on conference platforms, and it's in the in the first book. Um, this experience, you know, I'm very humble about it. You know, I, I did it out of negative negative motivations or negative reasons, negative emotions certainly. Um, but the effect of it was um, really profound. And now I'm seeing, uh, obviously, since then, we've had Lean Startup. So that my experience of this was back in 2009, 10, mm-hmm. you know, a bit before. I mean, Lean Startup as a concept existed then, but it's before the Eric Reese book, um, certainly. Um, I was comparing notes with other people in the Kanban community who were doing some similar things. So I wasn't the only person doing it by any stretch. Um, but I certainly had a profound experience doing it. Uh, you know, fast forward a few years to my work in government, and I'm seeing um, product owners and user researchers actually framing their work in terms of hypotheses mm-hmm. um, and thinking about how we'll know that this change is of benefit to people. How will we know that the, um, the usability has improved and so on? Um, and around a development process that takes a certain number of uh, hours or days, you know, there's a, lo- a longer running process of um, hypothesis um, uh, and um, validation, you know, build, measure, learn. Um, so um, I, you know, my, although you know, I'm, I'm best known for a Kanban book, I am very positive on Lean Startup as well. And I think the whole validation idea is very powerful. Um, if it's coupled with a really serious attitude towards needs. So that back to the government thing, start with needs, be really serious about exploring needs. Um, then you can be serious about how you'll know whether, whether needs are being met or not. And then the validation thing starts to have real meaning. And it's not just about the size of the, the, size of the button or whether it should be pink or whether it should be green, this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, so if, if, there's one, if there's one thing... It'll be around validation, um, as long as it's about needs. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds very strong, and that's I guess the way to put value in the center of everything. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I wish I could ask you so much more, but we'll have to stop here. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you too, and maybe we'll make this again. Yes. Good. I like that. The lamp is brought to you by Kanbanize the leading Kanban software for lean management. Learn more at kanbanize.com. If you'd like to keep learning about the topics we've covered, there are some useful resources links in the description to this episode. If you're watching us on YouTube, leave us a like. And if you're listening on iTunes, feel free to leave us a review. We really appreciate that. Thanks for joining us and see you here next time.